Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Jim, it's just your average run-of-the-mill Friday in August with three crazy martinis, one of which just happened here in the last hour. So let's start with President Trump. He is off on a what a one, two, three, four uh, tweet rant here against China. This is the breaking news. This is what he says. Our country has lost, stupidly, trillions of dollars with China over many years. They have stolen our intellectual property at a rate of hundreds of billions of dollars a year, and they want to continue. I won't let that happen. We don't need China and, frankly, would be far better off without them. The vast amounts of money made and stolen by China from the United States year after year for decades will and must stop. Our great American companies are hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China, including bringing your companies home, all caps, and making your products in the USA. I will be responding to China's tariffs this afternoon. This is a great opportunity for the United States. Also, I'm ordering all carriers, including FedEx, Amazon, UPS, and the post office, to search for and refuse all deliveries of fentanyl from China or anywhere else. Fentanyl kills 100,000 Americans a year. President Xi said this would stop. It didn't. Our economy, because of our gains in the last two and a half years, is much larger than that of China. We will keep it that way. So... Jim, my initial reaction to this is that uh, President Trump is trying to shock China into a more favorable negotiating position. But uh, anytime you got the president randomly ordering businesses what to do and when to do it, uh, that uh, starts to smack of things we don't particularly like in a free market society. Yeah. I mean, let's just go through this sentence by sentence. Uh, and we'll jump over the fact that he still has this very German style philosophy of capitalizing all nouns in the sentence. You know, they have stolen our intellectual property at a rate of hundreds of billions of dollars a year, and they want to continue. True. Fact check, true. <laughs> um, you know, and look, I'm glad. This is the sort of thing that I think really did get uh, way too downplayed or not treated with the seriousness that it deserved by previous administrations. But I also think it's an interesting point. Like, U.S. companies know this is going on, and yet they keep doing business with China because they think the access to the size of that market makes it worthwhile even while they're having their intellectual property stolen. Now, Greg, I don't know about you. If somebody steals from me, I'm not eager to keep working with them. But for some reason, U.S. businesses have made that. Uh, freedom includes the right to make decisions that we don't necessarily think are smart. But, you know. um, but Trump says we, don't, we won't let that happen. We don't need China, and frankly, we'll be better off without them. Now, look, I've been among those who have argued, hey, has our engagement with China really done? Have we gotten our money's worth out of it? Has it worked out well for us? You look back to the statements during the Clinton administration, uh, and by the way, it wasn't just Clinton. There were plenty of Republicans who said, look, greater trade with China, most favored nation status, permanent normal trade realization, uh, normalization. All of that will do us good, and that will give us better leverage on China. More interaction will make them want to be more democratic, to, to open up their markets, to be a freer society, yada, yada, yada. And that hasn't happened. I think it's safe to say that that has been an f- absolute failure uh, of that. Now, does this mean, you know, now some people say, Jim, what would you want to do about it? I'd probably like to see a little bit of a winding down of our enormous trade interaction. Um, I think we probably, what the president is calling for here in general is the sort of thing it might be wise for us to pursue. I think China's bad behavior on a wide variety of fronts, from human rights to uh, national security issues to the aforementioned uh, intellectual property stuff, 
gives us reason to think, hey, you know what, it might be good to start unwinding this. But they're our biggest trading partner, and you don't unwind this overnight. It, you know, it took a, a decades to build this up. It would probably take decades to build this down. And this is where the president starts to go off the rails, where he says, our great American companies are hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China, including bringing your companies home and making your products in the USA. Greg, you and I can look at the Constitution. Look at the Constitution. The president doesn't actually have that much authority or that much power in all this. He certainly does not have the power to force American companies to make decisions and change where they produce goods and services. I probably suspect that if you did a, a, a poll on this, a lot of Americans are probably say, yeah, the president should have that. But, you know, you want to amend the Constitution to give the president a near dictatorial power of deciding where companies can put their factories, that's fine. That is, of course, uh, very different from our, 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 the entirety of our traditions and basically turns into a dictatorship. Also regarding ordering all carriers, including FedEx, Amazon, UPS, the post office, to search for and refuse all deliveries of fentanyl from China or anywhere else. Greg, he's heard of the postal inspectors, right? Well, you'd think so. I mean, that's, that's kind of their job. That, that's kind of a really big deal uh, of why they do this. And yes, they do. You know, mail services are abused by this. I assume that not only is the U.S. postal inspectors working on this, I assume that... Uh, uh, Amazon and FedEx and UPS already do. You know, in the moment they get word that they're involved in some sort of smuggling operation, they're going to say, whoa, whoa, we don't want anything to do with this. Again, the president of the United States doesn't get to tell private companies, here's what you have to do. You really want to do it, you can pass a regulation. You don't just get to say, uh, in our form of Twitter executive orders, <laughs> I hereby declare you have to do X. For a guy who's been talking about you know, buying Greenland and then he cancels the trip to Denmark because he's offended, they didn't want to sell him Greenland, you know, He's going even further than he usually does lately, uh, Greg. And you kind of wonder what's going on behind those White House walls that's got him you know, raging and, and uh, doing all the things he's doing these days. Anytime Trump does something like this, it's kind of like when we were talking about his uh, comments about disloyalty the other day. There is a serious real underlying issue here in that uh, China is fleecing us on trade, the devaluing of the currency. You explained exactly and very well the problem. But then the way Trump responds to it just makes you kind of slam your head against the desk, not only because, like you said, what he wants to do would probably take a, a very long time, but he doesn't actually have the power to do it. It would be nice if companies had some of the, the same wokeness. And we we're talking about this with David French uh, with the Hong Kong situation a couple of weeks ago. If China ends up trampling uh, the people of Hong Kong in their protests, will American companies actually bother to change how they do business with China as opposed to boycotting North Carolina because they uh, decided uh, who gets to use which bathrooms? So uh, it's, it's very interesting how corporate America will react to this. I'm guessing not very well at all. Uh, but once again, it's an interesting debate that has gotten even more complicated because of the president's actions here. I'm seeing somebody floating a very interesting thought here, which is that uh, it does feel like the president is in a different mood, uh, that he is angrier, that he's lashing out. You can think of what he said about uh, send them back regarding, you know, uh, the, the squad and, and all this stuff regarding Cummings in Baltimore and, and all this kind of stuff. So interesting theory that I've just had somebody floated across my desk. And I don't want to say who it is so that I can get them in trouble. What if the Russia probe kind of benefited Trump because it kind of gave him one person to focus all of his irritation on? And you could make a strong argument that the Russia probe, you know, that he had not actually colluded. And that in the end, this was, was if not a witch hunt, then it was uh, uh, chasing or looking for something that didn't exist. Uh, the Mueller probe did eventually exonerate him, at least on that. Now, there was a lot of other bad behavior in there that basically... Uh, amounted to attempting to obstruct justice, but never quite succeeding. But now without this this nemesis, 
without this this threat that focused his mind and kept him, you know, you, you know, mostly raging about this. Now he's raging at everything. Now he's just, you know, angry at members of Congress and he's angry at this and he's angry at the. Uh, earlier in the day, he said about you know Fed uh, Chair Powell is you know, he asked who is a bigger enemy, Jay Powell or Chairman G of uh, of China? Trump appointed Powell, right? <laughs> now here's the thing: if you appoint a Fed Chair that you conclude is a bigger enemy to the United States than the leader of China, then you really should resign, shouldn't you? Because you've made a terrible, terrible mistake. But that's where we are, Greg. Okay, that's got a lot of different weird layers to it, but it's got nothing on our second crazy martini. Are you ready for this? Uh, Jim, this is uh, potentially a double-barreled crazy. Uh, Patrick Byrne is the former CEO of Overstock.com, very successful company. I'm sure folks have seen the ads over the past couple of decades. He's no longer a head of the company. And according to interviews he did with both Fox News and CNN, both of which declared his story at least initially credible, and that's coming from both Martha McCallum and Chris Cuomo, uh, he was apparently engaged in political espionage back in 2015 and 2016. Here is a series of clips from Byrne's interview with Martha McCallum. First of all, as he figured out during the just-mentioned Mueller probe, what exactly is the source for the orders of his political espionage that he claims to have committed? Uh, I didn't know who sent the orders, but I did them. They seemed fishy last summer watching television. And here's the punchline. Here's the punchline, people. Last summer watching television and some congressional hearings, I figured out where those orders came from. I gave him a guy named Peter Strzok. Well, there's a name we've heard before. This political espionage. Was it one person? Was it multiple people? Turns out it was four people, allegedly. Uh, here's what it is. This was all political espionage conducted against Hillary Clinton, Rubio, Cruz, and Trump. This is not a theory of mine, some political theory. I was in the room when it happened, in a way. I mean, not in a way. I, I was part of it. And finally, we have two different parts here. One is that the omnipresent Maria Butina is now uh, intertwined with this. They apparently had a physical relationship on at least multiple occasions. And then there's also more on the alleged effort uh, to spy on Hillary. What did they tell you to do? What did they ask you to do, Patrick? Uh, there was, well, some of it uh, involved this young lady, Maria Butina. Uh, who came here? Uh, so, I've, uh, so some of it involved her. Okay. Some of it involves sitting up Hillary Clinton uh, for what looked like in uh, looked like law enforcement was actually setting her up to be blackmailed. Uh, I helped set uh, them set up Hillary Clinton to be blackmailed. What was the nature of the blackmail? I, can't go into it. So, Jim, there's a lot of different ways this is crazy. Uh, he's clearly all over the place. I don't know if it's lack of media uh, experience. I don't know if he's afraid of for his life or what's going to happen in this whole process or whether he's just coming unraveled. Uh, but if any of this is true, and Cuomo and McCallum have apparently done some background research here to, to conclude that uh, there's at least some basis of truth to this, this makes the Justice Department back in 2015, 2016 look even worse, if that's possible. So, um, Greg, I guess being a CEO isn't really that hard, is it? <laughs> At least you don't have to be that sane. Um, now, I hope to never have relations with anybody beyond Mrs. Campaign Spot, and uh, I hope to never find myself having been doing the horizontal mambo with a Russian spy. 
But if I ever do, I suppose I was doing it on orders from the United States government is a pretty decent excuse. You almost want to give him credit for that one. Um, I was, uh, it's very James Bondian. I was sleeping with her to get information out of her, if you catch what my drift, you know. She, she talks in her sleep. I, I, you almost want to admire the audacity of it. Having said that, I think it's good. If you're an Overstock.com uh, company shareholder on the board of directors, you're glad he's on his way out. Because he seems completely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, and it's one of those things. You almost get the feeling like he, he went through the Mueller report and all of the all of the news we've seen over the last three or four years. And it's almost like Mad Libs. <laughs> this was a political plot against Marco Rubio, Hillary Clinton, Ted Cruz, and Donald Trump. You know? The other thing is also is let's, let's assume you're Maria Butina and you're, you're a uh, Russian spy trying to get as much information from the United States as possible. You went for the um, Overstock.com CEO? This was your top target? I mean, figure somebody back at FSB headquarters is, really? <laughs> Nobody else was available? Are you, Maria, are you off your game? So in a world of really crazy news stories, this one was on a whole other level, Greg. So what do we do with this? Just assume he's crazy? Uh, why would both McCallum and Cuomo give this guy substantial airtime? The McCallum interview is 22 minutes out of an hour-long show. I imagine, well, did they used to cover the uh, high-speed chases on cable news? <laughs> you, you watch something crazy going on, you're like, oh, I got I to gotta see how this ends. This is about, are they going to get him? Are they going to get him? Oh, wow. Wow, he just imploded. Wow. So is he being charged with anything over this? Not that I saw. Right? I mean, as far as I know, canoodling with a Russian spy is not by itself a um, crime. I don't imagine he'd be in any position to have any sensitive information to pass along to her to pass along to her superiors in Moscow. I, I, corporate espionage, maybe? You know, this this sounds like not really a matter for the U.S. government or anything, although it is kind of weird and kind of strange. And just kind of the recognition that if a really attractive Russian woman comes up to you and seems really interested in you, maybe you should just be a little bit wary. This is quite the um, PR indictment, not actual indictment, but PR indictment for Jim Comey in the last uh, couple of weeks. Remember we are talking... <laughs> About uh, Rod Blagojevich, and uh, at the moment when Trump was on the verge of commuting Blagojevich's sentence, he said he was seriously thinking about doing it and probably going to do it because uh, Blago was effectively railroaded by the same bunch, Comey et al. And so not only has uh, Jim Comey uh, sent Blagojevich up the river, despite not being in government at the time, uh, but also now he specifically ordered the CEO of Overstock.com to once again sleep with a Russian spy. So this is really piling up, Jim. Yeah, I'm just kind of picturing the secretary who has to type up that order. <laughs> in, in keeping with the president's wording, you are hereby ordered to continue sexual relations with that Russian spy. <laughs> well, that's an awkward moment of dictation, no pun intended. Do we need a new season of The Americans? I mean, that's... Let's <laughs> picture them all looking at the orders. Hey, this guy? Really? <laughs> Overstock.com? Don't they just sell surplus stuff that can't get sold anywhere else? What, what magical secrets are we going to get? Nobody, nobody at DARPA? None of the good stuff? No? Uh, boy, I really am. I'm on the D list of FSB these days. But uh, corporate folks can certainly uh, be well entrenched in politics. And that's uh, a foreshadowing to our champagne toast that's coming towards the end of our podcast today. But first, we have our third crazy martini. 
Uh, CNN, you get one and a half crazy martinis today since you had one of the interviews with this uh, Patrick Byrne character. But also there's breaking news this morning from CNN. It started with a tweet from CNN's Oliver Darcy. Some news. CNN announces Andrew McCabe has been signed as a contributor. I tried to find an objective piece of journalism on this, but all I found was conservative sites mocking the choice and liberal sites mocking conservatives for mocking the choice. And so CNBC wins former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, who became one of President Donald Trump's top enemies within his own administration, is joining CNN as a contributor, a network spokesperson said Friday. His first day is Friday. McCabe spent two decades in the FBI before he was fired in March 2018 by then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions just more than 24 hours before his planned retirement. The CNN gig comes as McCabe is fighting that termination in court. Earlier this month, McCabe filed a lawsuit in U.S. District Court alleging that his removal was part of a scheme by the president to remove government employees, quote, because they were not politically loyal to him, unquote. The Justice Department said he was fired because he broke FBI rules by improperly disclosing information to the press related to an investigation into Hillary Clinton. A Justice Department Inspector General report later found McCabe had, quote, lacked candor, including under oath, unquote, in describing those disclosures to investigators. So he's become kind of a lightning rod. Trump hates him, so therefore the left loves him. And now CNN has hired him. So, Jim, I don't know if this is an apple or a banana, but uh, Uh, what what do you you, you make of this? Maybe it's all come together in the form of a fruitcake. (laughs) So I'm trying to get my head around this because I know earlier in the week everybody was flipping out about uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders going to work for Fox News. And in a sign that is probably probably a better offering for my uh, other podcast co-host, Mickey White, who pays attention to reality television so that I and the rest of the world don't have to. (laughs) The idea that Sean Spicer was joining uh, Dancing with the Stars, and apparently this was some sort of giant national scandal that required uh, everyone to the ramparts for another bout of moral outrage because Sean Spicer would violate the integrity of Dancing with the Stars. I, 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 I can't get well, Rick Perry's done it. I think Tucker Carlson was on the first season. Yes. Not, not only am I not bothered by this, I really cannot motivate a single molecule within my being to care about any of these things. But so, but so yeah, so Huckabee Sanders joins uh, Fox News as a commentator. Uh, not the least bit surprising that a former White House press secretary would end up in a situation like that. Now, here's like. Do I think this is a good thing? Look, if you ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, what do you think of the what do you think of the president ordering businesses to uh, to do, remove all their operations from China? Sarah Huckabee Sanders is not going to tell you this is a really terrible decision, and let me explain to you why. It's not like she's going to suddenly turn on the president. So when you have this person as your your pundit talking head, you know what you're getting from him. I assume McCabe is going to do a similar kind of role for CNN. I suppose they could do them for for general FBI or law enforcement topics, but CNN has a bunch of former FBI personnel, including somebody who's kind of become a buddy of mine, James Galifano, who's, I think, a straight shooter, uh, not politically predictable. I think he thinks if uh, somebody in the FBI hierarchy is uh, is doing the right thing, he'll say they're doing the right thing. If he thinks they're doing the wrong thing, he'll say they're doing the wrong thing. And that's what I would find most valuable as a talking head. If Andrew McCabe is going to go on there and his message is going to be the president is wrong in every single moment he's asked to be interviewed or to offer analysis or anything like that, I'm not sure how much value that provides. But it it won't surprise you that I see what would be good on CNN very differently than what Jeff Zucker does. Now, the other interesting question there is, like, again, McCabe was nabbed for improper leaks. So if you ever want to know what's going on at CNN, 
Should people just call up McCabe and hope that he leaks what's going on, what's going on behind closed doors there too? So what was the reaction? I, I guess he's filling the Donna Brazil slot. <laughs> oh man. Integrity in the media is uh, hard to find these days. That's for sure. But uh, Jim, as we head into the weekend, we uh, conclude on a somber note with uh, a champagne toast today. Uh, we heard breaking news this morning that David Koch, one half of the very successful Koch brothers, has passed away at the age of 79. Uh, the real story of the Koch brothers is uh, certainly their outstanding and astounding business success based in Wichita, Kansas, and their just immense success in the private sector, both becoming uh, billionaires several times over. They then got involved in uh, the arts and in culture and eventually in politics. And because they tended towards the libertarian side and uh, to sponsor uh, conservatives and Republicans at certain points, they became thoroughly demonized by the left, Harry Reid in particular doing so. And if you look at Twitter today, to no surprise, the left is literally jumping up and down, cheering at the news of his passing and hoping that his brother will soon follow. That's how disgusting the reaction is. But, Jim, I know when we've talked about this, you've not only had the chance to follow their influence in politics, but also what they're trying to do at a deeper level. Uh, They've had the Koch Summit out in Palm Springs a number of years. Uh, They successfully helped to push criminal justice reform across the line. So talk about the David Koch that you experienced and, and what the real impact of him is on our culture. He, I believe, probably attended the first one I went to a couple of years back and has not been at the last two. Uh, there's been a recognition that he was having health issues uh, in recent years and that Charles Koch was the one who was kind of becoming the more public face of their organization. Um, as you mentioned, William, phenomenally, they're, 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 they are, I believe Koch is the either the largest or one of the largest privately held companies in the United States. He doesn't have shareholders. It's not traded. You can't buy up shares of Koch Industries stock. As a result of that, they have a great deal of wealth. They're usually the top 10 wealthiest Americans uh, once you put the two of them together. Um, and yeah, enormous, uh, I believe, you know, somebody ran up the numbers and they donated at least more than a billion dollars with a B over the course of their lives to various charitable foundations and organizations, the arts and uh, community, uh, you know, helping the poor and, and one thing after another. Because I've had a chance to cover them, and I guess I probably they started inviting the likes of me to their winter meetings in recent years just to you know counter all the misinformation, disinformation, and misunderstandings around that. Then. First of all, you often hear them described as, first of all, the shadowy, sinister, right-wing co-corrupt, but they're not right-wing. They are probably, as I described, communitarian libertarians. Yes, they've been very supportive of some Republicans like Scott Walker. They were not Trump supporters. As I say, communitarian libertarian. I've been there to the three of these winter meetings. I don't think I've really heard a single talk about guns. They might be pro-Second Amendment and oppose gun control, but it's just not a topic they get into very much. Uh, my suspicion is that there's a wide variety of views on probably a bunch of social issues. Um, what they really believe in is, one, reducing the size of government, reducing taxes, but also empowering the community to fill in the gap to take care of people so that they can maximize the potential of their lives. And this means school choice and scholarships. This means uh, fighting for free speech on campus. This means job training and apprenticeships and uh, eliminating uh, um, licensing requirements for hairdressers and for all of these other, you know, uh, helping people start small businesses. You know, they're the unusual kind of libertarians who, yes, very much believe in limited government, but also believe that it's the responsibility of the community, of the private institutions to step in and make sure that everybody has the opportunities that they need to make the most of themselves in life. Um, you know, if, if liberals would just, you know, get past their knee-jerk fuming about them, 
So I guess the idea is that they they fund Americans for Prosperity, they fund a bunch of these organizations, Libre Initiative, and they see them as, oh, they're threatening, you know, liberal political power, they're threatening the Democrats, they must be villains or something. You actually listen to them. I suspect that a lot of folks on the left would see things that they like. They might prefer that government had a bigger role or something like that. But by and large, you know, these are all good nonprofits and charities that are doing this stuff. A couple of years, they bring in uh, uh, Deion Sanders, who has a um, organization in Dallas that works at, at risk youth in poor neighborhoods of Dallas. You know, these are guys who want to help make the world a better place. Maybe you disagree with their methodology or something like that. But, you know, one, they put their money where their mouth is. And two, they believe that the free market is not this, you know, terrible draconian thing that oppresses people, but it's the sort of thing that can allow people to live out their dreams. There are a lot of people who are small businessmen in this country who love it, who adore it, who are thrilled having created their food truck, who are thrilled having created their, you know, their restaurant, their bar, their their small knickknack store, their boutique. You know, one, this is the lifeblood of our economy, and two, this is one of the things that made the part of the American dream for a lot of people. So. Um, didn't get a chance to uh, talk to David Koch very much, but I think his viewpoints are pretty clear on this. He will be missed, and he did his part to make the world a better place. Jim, I'm so glad we had the chance to offer our listeners your thoughts on David Koch's passing, because as I mentioned, you've had the chance to cover these summits, and so uh, few journalists have really had the opportunity, as you have, to cover and explain the full breadth of the work uh, of the Koch brothers over the years. So uh, it's a perspective I doubt that they're going to hear too many other places. So I'll go through one more, you know, kind of observation note on that, Greg. Is you know, so each year they, you know, it's about three days. They are open, very open about some parts. They generally bring in Charles Koch to talk to us for one segment. It sometimes it's on the record, sometimes it's off the record. And but the thing is, is that they also want us. They show us a lot about these nonprofit efforts they're doing. Had a chance to meet Dean Kamen. He's the guy who invented the Segway. He was, you know, talking about this device he had created. It was designed basically you pour dirty water into one side, clean water comes out the other side. And all the different places in the world where they can't dig wells, where there's drought conditions, where there's a uh, hurricane comes through and wrecks the, the infrastructure, you can drop it in and this can have an amazing, you know, help people instantly. And they show us all this stuff. And it's usually myself and anywhere from a dozen to probably they max out about two dozen, mostly political reporters. And I can see some of my colleagues kind of rolling their eyes and, you know, they're not here to write about feel good charitable stuff. And I always write at least one thing about it because, hey, it's cool. My readers will care about that. You know, I have got to run, you know, piece after piece on it. And it's very interesting. There's some people who see the Cokes through a political lens so strongly, they can't see them through anything else. And they're not interested in knowing any more about any aspect of the Coke uh, network's efforts. And I kind of chuckle with that, but I do think it's a real factor. And why are you not hearing about this? Because some people don't want to write about this. Jim, uh, condolences, obviously, to the Coke family. And uh, we will reconvene on Monday. See you then. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And be sure to tune in again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.